Revelation 1, chapter 7, it reads, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are asking for your help this morning. Pour on us your spirit that we may hear a word from on high. Lord, we are living in troublesome times and we need a word. We need a word of comfort. We need a word of challenge. And we need a word of hope. So, Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray that when we leave this place, that we will go with a charge. That we will go into the world with confidence, knowing that you are who you say you are and that we can depend on you. And that we can hope in you. Be with your servant, Lord. Help me to speak your word with boldness and with clarity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This text that we are looking at this morning gives us the charge that since King Jesus is returning to judge, we must be prepared. Since our king, Jesus, is on his way to judge, we must be prepared. This book of Revelation is a very interesting book. We in the academy oftentimes call the type of literature here apocalyptic literature. And this refers to the the idea that there are many symbols and symbolic language that is used in this book. And for that reason, you have theologians and, and Bible scholars who debate about what the meaning of this particular book conveys. Some theologians judge one way. And others judge another way. But also because of the symbolic nature of this book of Revelation, it has caused many laymen, I would suggest, to get distracted in uh, non-important issues and get carried away and distracted from the main purpose of the text. Some view the the uh, recordings in the book of Revelation as historical, meaning that it is recording the history of what was going on during the time of its writing. Others suggest that the book of Revelation 
gives us a historical overview until the end of times. That this is going to be what happens. It, it records what is going to happen during the church age. And then others believe that they're both there. That there is, it's recording things that was happening during the time of John, but also it's recording things that are to happen over the course of church history. But I'm not going to enter into that particular debate this morning. Essentially what you need to know is that the Apostle John wrote this book of Revelation while he was in exile. He was exiled because of his witness of the gospel and his proclamation of the truth of who Jesus is in contradiction to what their government was saying that Caesar was Lord. And so sometimes we have to recognize that uh, our proclamation of the truth of God can oftentimes get us exiled and, and, and cast away from society. But, but the main point of what the book of Revelation is here to give us is that, that Jesus is Lord and that he is going to return to destroy his enemies. So this was to encourage those who were facing persecution. Because many people during this time of the writing of the book of Revelation, they were enduring intense persecution for their faith. You see, you know, the first century church did not have a culture that was uh, sensitive to the gospel. They had a culture that was resistant to the gospel. And so we are seeing even in our day a growing resistance to the truth of God. And so we even need this encouragement for ourselves that, that, that Jesus, he is Lord. And that he will return and destroy his enemies. And the text that we are looking at this morning is a summarized version of that truth. If you look at the text in verse 7, it says, Behold. This word behold refers to the idea that it's wanting to grab our attention. It is seeking to alert us about a particular truth. Essentially what John is saying is, wake up. Pay attention and take heed to what I am about to tell you. And we see this throughout the scripture, this, this, the, the uses of this word, behold, that, that even when the announcement of the birth of the Messiah was mentioned by the prophet Isaiah, it says, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. In a latter part of the book of Revelation, speaking to the lukewarm church of Laodicea, Jesus says to them, Behold, I stand at the door knocking. If anyone desires to let me in, I will come in with him and sup with him. And then we see another John. When he sees his Lord in the distance, 
He says among those who are surrounding him, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So, so, so this word behold is, is seeking to grab our attention. It's telling us that we need to attend to some issues that the writer is about to go into. And so this is our call even today that we must wake up and we must pay attention. And the first thing that we must pay attention to is the fact that since King Jesus is on his way returning to judge, we have hope. Since our King Jesus is returning to judge, we as those who follow him, we have hope. And we see that his return is certain. Look at the text once again in verse 7. It says, behold, he is coming. He is coming. This is a promise. This, this is a statement of fact. This is not saying that he may come. It's not saying that he might come. The Bible says that he is coming. This is a declaration, a a promise that we can hold on to. Many of us may have been left behind and abandoned by those who we may have trusted in, but aren't you so glad that we serve a God that when the word says that he is coming, we know for certain that he is coming. And this is a hope, and, and, and this should excite us. This should give us joy. But the question is, why should this excite us? Well, because when he returns, he is bringing this present world to an end. Look at the text, if you will, once again. It says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Now, this reference to the clouds may not uh, give us any indication on the surface level, but this reference is a reference back to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel announces that there would be a son of man who was to come in the end of times. That, that, that this imagery that is given here is the fact that when you see one coming in the clouds, that is a sign that the end of this world system is coming to an end. And the reason why that should excite us because the world that we live in is evil. The world that we live in is full of sin. The world that we live in is full of hurt and pain and oppression, and persecution, and sickness, and all these other things. And so when we hear and when we see that the Lord is going to return to bring an end to this present evil age, that is good news. That is good news. That is hope that, that there is an expiration date on the pains and the troubles of this world. 
We, we seem not to be able to get ourselves out of wars and, 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 and mass shootings and, and oppression and injustice. But the Bible is telling us that when Jesus returns, that all those things are coming to an end. And that should give us hope and that should give us confidence. But some love this world so much that they're not really looking forward to the return of Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, now take, take your time, Jesus. I, got, I still got a life to live. I want to live my life. I want to have some fun. But the problem with that is, is that nowhere in the New Testament church do we hear believers speaking in such a way. The declaration of all the believers in the New Testament is, come Lord Jesus, come. Because they understand that, that, that this world is not our home. That, that there is a spirit, that the spirit of the Holy One that is in us, that is drawing us and giving us a desire to be with him. And so the question should be is, do I love this world? And do, do I want to hasten the coming of the Lord or do I just want to stay here and enjoy the things that I can enjoy with this world? But not only that, we recognize that he returns as king. He returns as king. And, 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 and we point back to this, this, this text in Daniel chapter 7. This, this coming on the clouds. If you would turn uh, to Daniel 7 with me, if you will. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel get, receives a vision of the end. And we see here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So we understand that this, that this vision of this king that was to come is going to be one that is going to come, that's going to have a kingdom that never ends. And aren't you glad that we are on that king's side? That when he returns, that he is returning for us. He is returning to receive his people unto himself. And this should give us comfort that he comes to rule. He comes to reign. He comes to set things straight, to set things in order. We see injustice in the world. We can just look at it and say, oh, the king is coming. We, we see mass shooters in the world. We can look at it and say, Oh God, the king is coming. We see cancer ripping our loved ones apart and we can say, oh my God, the king is coming. This is our hope as believers that our king is on the way. But this shouldn't just give us a, a, a feeling of sentimentality. Like this shouldn't give us a sentimental feeling. This should push us to act According to that truth as well. 
And with that said, we, we recognize that since King Jesus is returning to judge, we must prepare to face him. Since King Jesus is coming to judge, we must prepare ourselves to face him. Jesus' return will be a universally visible return. Look at the text again in verse 7. It says, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. So contrary to some of the books you may have read, that, that Jesus is not coming back on the low. When Jesus returns, this is going to be a universal, visible action that happens. That you're not going to find out about the return of Jesus on the 9 o'clock news. You're going to find out that Jesus returns because he comes with glory that no one can ignore. Like when, when Jesus returns, it says that every eye will see him. This is going to be public. It's not going to be a secret. Jesus is not coming to hide in the cave. He's not coming with his tail tucked. Jesus is coming with glory and with majesty. And the Bible tells us that every eye will see him. But also, we will all have an individual encounter with him. If you look at the text once again, the idea that every eye will see him gives the idea that there is going to be an individual perception. It says every eye. That, that means that you yourself are going to have to see him. That, that you're not going to be able to rely on your mom or your dad. You're not going to be able to rely on your spouse. You will have to see him and stand before him yourself. This is what the text is telling us. That, that, that no one will be able to say that they will not stand before the Lord. We will all encounter him. No one else will be able to stand in the gap. We will have to stand before him. We will have to give an account for the things that we have done. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before the Holy One? Are you ready to stand and answer for the things that nobody else knows that you did, but Jesus knows? The Bible gives the, the, the idea in, in the first couple of chapters of Revelation that it says that, that this is the one who was and is and is to come. This is the one that it says that his eyes were like flame of fire. That his head was like white like wool. This is speaking of his wisdom and his piercing uh, rage that he is coming to judge the world with. The question is, are you ready to stand before him? Are you ready to stand before the just judge of the earth? This is what the text is, is pushing us to come to grips with. But we also see that we will answer for our specific rebellion that we have done towards Jesus. Look at the text once again. In verse 7 it says, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who pierced him. They, the, the, the text is specifying a particular act of rebellion 
that those who killed our Lord Jesus acted upon him. And so the, the point that, that is being emphasized here is that some people may think that, that you will get away with some of the sins that you, you committed. I imagine that some of the people who were there crucifying our Lord and who spat on him, who ripped his beard out, they probably went on and lived a regular life. They probably just went on about their day thinking that everything was hunky-dory. They would never have to answer for what they've done. But in, in the most tragic display of justice, we see here that those who pierced him will have to face him. That, 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 that those who thought they got away with their rebellion to our Lord will have to stand before him and recognize that he is the invincible judge of the earth. And so we, we have to come to the recognition that we will have to stand before him and that the things that people have done in their lives that we may think they may have got away with, God will call them to account. Jesus says that he is going to judge us for every thought, every action, every deed that we have done. And so the things that may seem like people have got away with, these men, they walked away from the cross, mocking, spitting at our Lord, thinking that it was all over. But they will have to face him. This is such a tragic event. But what about you? What, what are certain things? What are your secret sins? What are the things that you have not had to pay for in this life? The Bible tells us that those who look as if they may get away, they will have to answer for their rebellion. The Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. But we also see that since King Jesus is returning to judge, we must warn others to repent. Since we know that King Jesus is on his way to judge, we must warn others to repent. Jesus is, love, is Lord and judge of all. We see this in the text once again in verse 7. It says, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. This means that no one is exempt from his judgment. That when he comes, he's not just the judge of the Jews. He's not just the Lord of America. This Jesus is the Lord of the world. That means all tribes. It don't matter if you, you may grew up in a Muslim home. You may have grew up in a Christian home, but you all are going to have to answer to Jesus. There's not one judgment for, for Christians and then another judgment for Muslims or Hindus. They're not going to answer to Muhammad or to Buddha. They're going to have to bow their knee to Jesus Christ and, and, and go with his judgment. No one is exempt. No one. They will all stand before our Lord. And this is why we do missions. This is why we go to Africa. This is why we go to Europe. This is why we go to Brazil, to South America, because we know that the whole world will have to stand before this judge. We know that, that people must hear 
and understand the gospel. This is why we go out and we call people to repentance because we know that the Lord is the Lord of all people. No one is going to be exempt. But also we see that there is no way to escape God's punishment. We see this in the text once again. It says that all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Now in the original language, this word wail gives the idea of someone beating their self in sorrow. So it, it, it gives the connotation that, that, that it's so much fear that people are essentially trying to rip their faces off in horror. That, that, that at the sight of Jesus, when Jesus returns and those who have not given their lives to him, when they recognize that this king is about to judge them, it's going to be so much horror, they're going to be so terrified that they will try to rip themselves apart to get away. But the reason why they are wailing, the reason why they are in so much terror is because they know it's no escape. You can't escape this judge. And so Jesus is telling us that we need to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel to let people know that there is no other way to be saved. There's no other way under heaven that is given among men that they must be saved. That there's no escape. There, there's no escape hatch. That, 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 that there, there's no exemption from this judgment. And this is why we should be urgent in our proclamation of the gospel. But we also see that when he returns, that it is too late to repent. That it is too late to repent. This is the horror that these people mention in the text wailing or wailing about that, that, that many people have in their mind this idea that, oh, well, when I see, you know, Jesus coming, you know, then I'm going to go ahead on and give my life to him then. But the Bible tells us that it's too late then. This is why these people are in horror, because when they see the king coming in the clouds, there's no other way. There's no other means or, or option or opportunity to repent. And so there is an expiration date on our time that we can repent. And when we see Jesus cracking the air, you're not going to be able to whisper a prayer then to ask God into your life. We need to make that decision now while we still have time. This is why it is urgent. It is urgent that we go out here into our communities and in our families and tell people that they must come to salvation now. Do not wait because the Lord is on the way. And then when he returns, there is no other option to repent. There's no other opportunity. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming to judge the world. And in the midst of this seemingly hopeless situation, and, and, and this proclamation of, of Jesus' coming to judge the world, it may seem like this is hopeless. But couched even within this text is the message of hope. Hidden in plain sight. If you look at the text again, in verse 7 it says, And every eye will see him, even those 
Who pierced him? And I don't know about you, but somewhere I read that he was pierced for our transgressions. Somewhere I read that he was bruised for our iniquities. Somewhere I read that the chastisement of us all was laid upon him. Somewhere I read that he was stretched on high and he took upon us our sin and he said, it is finished. I am forgiving you of all of your sin. And this is the hope that we have in the gospel that our Lord Jesus came to save us. This is the message that we have to give to the world and to ourselves. That God has given us a way out of this judgment. And we must surrender our lives to that. Why don't you come today and give your life to Jesus? He's a good shepherd. He's the lily in the valley. He's the bright in the morning star. He's the one who saves us from our impending judgment. How can we turn away from such a great salvation and such a great hope? Jesus is coming. Will you be ready? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good. In the midst of our guilt, in the midst of our sinfulness, you have not left us to ourselves, but you have saved us. You've given us another chance that we could give our lives to you. So, Father God, I just pray that if there's someone here today who have been playing around with you, that they will come to know you as their Lord and their Savior. That they will see the beauty of your grace. That they will see that we deserve nothing but judgment and destruction. But, Lord, you have made a way out of no way and offered us your salvation. Oh Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.